Six months ago, we took the summer hiatus on Titus. Little did we know that it was going to not be a summer hiatus, but it was, <laughs> was going to go for six months. So we are back in Titus. We are in chapter two. Uh, but as we will typically recap the previous week, since we have been off for so long, we will recap the previous six months. So... A, a basic question, I guess, one that is, is call it a, a, a Sunday school softball. What is this? What is Titus? Okay, it's a letter. From whom to whom? From Paul to Titus. So... You know, very simple, it is, it is a letter. Um, my encouragement last week was for you at some point this past week to sit down and read it. Uh, if you did not do that, I would encourage you to do that here again this next week, just for a refresh of your brain and to get a really good sense on what Paul is trying to convey to the young pastor. What are the important points? What are the important things? We'll touch on some of those even here today. So uh, before we start, again, might be a softball question for this group, but we'll, we'll cover it anyway. Who was Paul? Apostle. Okay, who's an, uh, an apostle? Okay. There are certain churches today that are still saying they've got apostles. Uh, okay. Um, messenger is what apostle means, and so you could kind of use that loosely, not a capital A apostle like the 12 that were handpicked by Jesus and Paul here. Um, let's, uh, let's read here verses uh, 1 through 3 of chapter 1. Eb, would you read that, please? 1 through 3 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command God, our Savior. Awesome. There is a mess of theology just packed into those verses. So, Paul refers to himself as a what besides an apostle? Servant of God. Servant of God. We're going to get to that maybe at the end of this lesson, definitely next week. As we look at chapter 2 and verse 9 where it talks about bond servants because it's the same word, doulos. I was at the Air Force Academy. The freshmen were called doulies after this word. Dooley means it was essentially servant slave. Maggot is what you would get in other training realms. They used you and abused you. Uh, there, but he calls himself a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? To what end? To what end? This is this is one of those where you know those of you who, who teach English or loved English, where we're gonna you know we could diagram the sentence out. We have Paul. He's huh? <laughs> Are you, did you heart, heart all off letter? He's he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? Of the sake of the faith of God's elect. Paul is an apostle. Why? Because God picked him for what? For you. He is an apostle, not for himself, not so he could go, hey, I'm an apostle. He's an apostle for you. He was an apostle for them, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. You know, God chose, and so to bring about his faith, to bring about the faith in those elect, 
God sent Paul as an apostle to bring the gospel to them that it might ignite and awaken their faith. The faith for the sake of the faith of God's elect and what else? Yeah, you could diagram that out. You know, so there's one thing: faith of the uh, faith of God's elect, sake of the faith of God's elect, and the knowledge of the truth. And again, that which accords with. The... Yes, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll build on that. We'll, we'll build on that whole truth thing here in just a minute. Um, this is taking getting is taking body shots <laughs> in the world around us today. That is truth. I giggle when on a news website I'll see the term true facts. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if there wasn't a greater redundancy, in the, a fact is true. Otherwise, it's not a fact. It is, it is an objective reality. So truth is being convoluted and contorted and twisted all around, which is why even back in the 70s it forced uh, Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer's hand to speak of true truth. You know, that which has an absolute foundation, that which you can stand on, that which isn't even going to quiver. Don't they have a new, um, a new word for truth now, too, that you hear people talk about your truth, like speak your truth, live your truth, and I'm like, can that... You can talk about your perspective. Yes. Can't talk about your truth. Good luck with that. There is either truth or there is not truth. So, so, and, and notice too, for the sake of their faith and their knowledge of the truth, these are foundational and fundamental for the believer. This was the importance of, of the apostles for establishing the truth, capital T, truth, and building up the faith, for the knowledge of the truth. And that truth in the life of the believer is going to accord to godliness. Is be, it's going to be pointing to godliness will accord to godly, accords with godliness, also to what end? In hope of eternal life. You know, by the way, this eternal life, how, how secure is this eternal life? Building on the structure of this sentence, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Eternal life wasn't an afterthought of God in the garden. Same thing is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 1. You know, that we were elect. Before the ages began. And at the proper time it has been manifest, made known to us. Now today, manifested in his word. It was manifested in the prophets. As the prophets came forward, Jeremy's going to be preaching on that here this morning. You know, hundreds of years before Christ ever walked the earth, God already made known what was going to take place. Promised before the ages began, promise, uh, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which now I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Okay, and we just raced through that. I mean, there's stuff in there to meditate on, to think on what is the depth of what Paul is saying in that weighty, meaty introduction about who he is and what God has called him to do. And really that should just that should make our our head swim as to God's greatness um, that such things would be done through such a man as Paul. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. So if we had no other part of scripture, what does this tell us about Titus? That simple sentence. He's younger. Okay. Probably younger. That he's a believer. That he is a believer. 
discipleship or a relationship there? Yes, excellent. There, there is a relationship here. And again, because we, we know this because we have Acts there. And oh, by the way, Titus is never spoken of in Acts. We, we talked about this when we went through the introduction. We only get snippets of Titus within some of Paul's other letters, uh, Galatians. Um, as a Gentile, Titus was a Gentile. It's a Gentile name, not a Hebrew name there. Um, but because he calls him a my child, it is very likely that it is through Paul's direct ministry that Titus came to know the Lord, you know, as with the hundreds and thousands of others who came to know the Lord because of verses 1 through 3. There. So my child in a common faith. Again, think of, think of that term, a common faith, much like knowledge of the truth. And hold it up against what our culture will say today about a common faith. You know, Paul uses the term you know, that he is my true child in a common faith. There are many common faiths. Okay. It's not broad evangelical. <clears throat> what is a common faith? A common faith thing is that, for instance, the dollar, in God we trust. Okay. The common faith in that greenback is going to buy whatever the market Okay. How many people got that on their bumper sticker? <laughs> oh, God, we trust. Really, it's just like Mur- Murka. Murka. Okay. <laughs> Good. It's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. What if you call yourself a Christian? Does that mean you automatically have fellowship with... Sometimes there are ethnicities that cross those barriers instantly. There's that common growing up heritage that binds people too. There's nationality, Russians, Americans. That commonness binds people together. You are speaking of what Paul is speaking. What is our culture speaking of when they say Christian? Or, oh, you're Christian too. You have a certain set of values ish, and probably you're super judgmental. Maybe you go to church twice a year. Okay. What if what if a Mormon comes up to you and says you're a Christian too? Oh well, it depends on you. It depends. depends. See what I'm saying? (laughs) See what I'm saying? People are gonna say just because you kind of have a Jesus thing, you're a Christian. Okay. According to us. So what would we say? No. (laughs) No. It is way tighter than that. You know, just because you say to me, Lord, Lord, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. That's huge. Just because you prophesied in my name, sorry. That doesn't cut it. Just because you have a cross on your church, just because you have Church of Jesus Christ of whatever, doesn't mean anything. And so, you know, when people go out from this church, our, our hope and our plea and our exhortation is to find a Bible-proclaiming, Christ-exalting Bible-upholding church when you go out because there is a lot of stuff on the market that does not accord with a common faith. So really, that, that's a challenge to all of us to understand what are the fundamentals. We're not, we're not going to 
I mean, that, that would maybe be a whole Sunday school series. What are the non-negotiables? What are the fundamental fundamentals upon which we must stand? Really, if you want to know what they are, just go back to the creeds. Back to the creeds of the church, the early church, as they battled uh, the same questions in that day. So there's nothing new under the sun uh, as far as that goes. So Titus. That's Titus. Titus is, a, again, a young pastor, and that gets fleshed out for us in the purpose of the letter, kind of the next point. And it picks up right away in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. Where's Crete? Uh, it's, it's an island in the Mediterranean. Okay? Yeah. 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 It's a nation unto itself. Cretans. Minotaur. The Minotaur came uh, from Crete. They're famous, famous for that. So Paul left Titus there, apparently at, at some point. To what end? In verse 5. Put what remains in order. Okay. So there's stuff yet to do. You need to, let's, let's make sure that the church is there that they are built up, that there's got to be, there's some things that have to be shored up here and what else needs to be done. Point elders. All right. Elders have to be appointed. Why do elders have to be appointed? Not appointed necessarily, but why do, why, what, what's the point of elders? Shepherding, Yeah. Accountability. Yes. Well, in, in this, this specific situation, in, in Titus, he left him as that role. So he's it's an appointed, appointed, just like the position is appointed by, by them and all churches. Good, good. So, and, so in Paul's eyes, Timothy is, is an elder. Titus. I'm sorry, Titus is okay. an elder to the small congregations that they've established. Yeah, think of, you know, a great example of this would be Dave Flink. What is Dave Flink trying to do? He's trying to work himself out of a job. He's trying to build up the church so that he can appoint elders to take over the church there in Antofagasta. So he can go somewhere else, another part of Antofagasta perhaps, or another part of Chile, to build up other churches. And he then goes into the qualifications for an elder. Oh, by the way, Titus, let me remind you, this, these are the kinds of guys that you want here to. So that's, that's the purpose of his letter. It's a very brief exhortation and encouragement to him. And as you read through a letter, as you read through really any of your own writings, if you, are, if you write letters, hope you do, Somebody, someone. You will see buzzwords in your letter. Things that you will say that you're trying to emphasize. Um, if you're having a hard time, we just went over times of darkness. Those those minor chord words, tough times, uh, was down today. You know, those, those things might catch the eye or the ear of the reader as they go through this. And Paul, in this letter, there are a number of words that he uh, repeats over and over. I'm a highlighter. I'm a, I'm, I, I'm a, I write over words with my pen to make them kind of stand out in bold print. And so a lot of these words here just jump out on my page as I look down at them um, simply because I've, I've tried to pull them up over and over. Uh, one of the things as we read in Paul's exhortation to Titus is this term. Sound doctrine. See it first in verse 9. He must hold firm, this is the elders, must hold firm to the trustworthy word. That goes back up to the whole knowledge of the truth thing. 
as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. What is an elder supposed to do? He had better be able to teach the saints in sound doctrine. Oh man, that's boring. Is 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 doctrine boring? First of all, hopefully, hopefully the pastor isn't making it boring. The elder isn't making it boring. That is, as we talk about doctrine, as we discuss doctrine, you may not even know you're eating doctrine. Like, these are Brussels sprouts? Whoa, these are really good. I love Brussels sprouts. I used to hate them. But anyway, neither here nor there. Sound doctrine. Doc, what is doctrine? Yeah, it's instruction in truth. Doctrine. At some point here, future, we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Because that is a sound doctrine. As we look at the beginnings of things to understand what is so badly broken in the world today. And again, to give us a sure hope, a rock upon which we stand, a foundation upon which we stand. Um, so, so, please. just want to say doctrine. I said instruction. What about do's and don'ts? If I just said do's and don'ts. No. I don't... That is not nearly encompassing enough. For example... Looking at the glory of God, we could do a complete study on just the glories of God. There's not a do or don't in there. It's being in awe of the majesty and wonder of the living God. What took place on the cross? Not a do or a don't, likely, to come out of that, but just to understand the depravity of what we are that required the magnificence of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, there, that would be issues of doctrine. So do's and don'ts, you know, living the Christian life is a doctrine. Husbands and wives, that's a doctrine. Training up your children, that's a doctrine. Body life in the church, that's a doctrine. Okay, those, those are doctrinal type of issues. That makes sense? Good. And then instruction is kind of Good. So, ultimately, we see it right there as far as the elders were concerned. And right after the section on elders in chapter 1, he goes into a, hey, there's bad dudes out there. And, oh, by the way, he tells in verse 13... He says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people. Okay, so in the middle of this kind of exposure of the bad guys that are out there trying to disrupt the faith, the deceivers and the empty talkers, Paul is exhorting this young pastor to rebuke them not just to stand and lord over them you know like uh, the, the stereotypical nuns of old you know with their stern and pinched faces and their yardstick that wouldn't break if it was struck against a wall um Paul's intention to Titus is that in the rebuke of these who are wayward, it is to bring them back to sound teaching, sound doctrine. Again, this, this word, we talked we talk about it real time, it's, it's healthy. Like hail, H-A-L-E, uh, fit. You know, when you're, when you, I don't know if it's, it may have been a while since you're feeling really good. But if you were feeling really good and really healthy and really vital and vibrant, you would be sound of body. 
Well, that's your doctrine. Your doctrine, if you, if you are clear-minded, clear-thinking in your doctrine, you have sound doctrine, you have a soundness in your faith. But then he goes on there, and this is kind of the area we left in, uh, back in May, April, May, as we were looking at how Titus was then to bring this into the church in chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So he's exhorting Titus, okay, don't be like those guys. Again, sound doctrine, <coughs> huge. And oh, by the way, we're going to now apply it to the men and women in your church. And he goes to break this down between with the older men, uh, with the younger women, with the younger men. Uh, the, the older women uh, weren't told. Uh, uh, well, hang on. I, I got ahead of myself. But he's supposed to bring sound doctrine into them, uh, in, in for them. You see the word soundness show up in the speech of the young men or excuse me, in Titus's speech, should be sound there. And that's the last uh, use of the word sound in there. So again, sound doctrine, that's one of the buzzwords here in this letter. The other one, and that's where I was getting ahead of myself. is self-control. Elders were supposed to be self-controlled in chapter 1 and verse 8. But older men are to be self-controlled in chapter 2 and verse 2. Younger women are to be self-controlled in verse 5. Younger men in verse 6. Again, by implication, it doesn't mean that the older women don't have to be self-controlled. But it's probably less of a problem, hopefully, for the older women. He's going to exhort them in chapter 2, verse 12, to live self-controlled and upright lives in this present age. So, again, how important is it in the mind of Paul as Titus exhorts and encourages the saints to be self-controlled? Yeah, you go, holy cow. How important is this today? What does it mean to be self-controlled? Okay, how would that manifest itself for us today? I'm sorry? Okay. But you don't like it. Nuts to you. It's your problem. Get over it. I'm going to say what I think, and if you don't like it, tough. Controlling your tongue. You know, you control your tongue. Social media. Funny, the old concept of like I've read about back then is that like words are alive. You've spoken them, that they they're out there forever. But in the digital age, they're really out there forever. Do you ever hear the statement? You might as well say it as to think it. Yes. What's God saying? No, I'm saying unless it's uplifting. No, no, that is a sinful heart. That's what a sinful heart does. Blah. It just rails and rages on everybody. Social media. You know, so I was going to say, Titus, you said probably a Gentile who may have known the, the Old Testament writings. Probably, just by being with Paul. Absolutely. You know, he talks even about Jewish myths and mythologies in that first section of chapter 1 to avoid such. So, yes, absolutely. And, and you think of the church. How important is the Old Testament in the church? Huge. And so are Gentiles going to start reading the Old Testament? Absolutely. Absolutely. Law well, and the prophets. Got a little map in the back of your Bible? Got a map in the back of your Bible? Yes, I do. You're talking a different nation. Yeah. With different nations. Mm -hmm. But they would have had had temples there, correct? 
perhaps synagogues, very likely Paul would always go to the synagogue. I don't know if there was one in Crete. Um, because that's the first time it ever occurred to me that they, uh, new converts, might have tried mm-hmm. to like, oh, go to Temple too, yeah. to see what we can glean over there. Something that kind of sticks out to me, he says, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. You got to think by that point, like the Catholic Church today, how much extra stuff is heaped on people. Yeah. Don't give heat. And, like, just like now, I'm sure all of those Jewish fables and commandments had a good root in the very beginning, or they were taken from something of God. And then. Yeah. It used to be. Used to be that you were supposed to keep your mouth closed. Think about what you were going to say and then say it, even within conversations. Um, but it's not that way anymore. And our conversation is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, the 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 clothing that that guys wear and women wear. You know, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care what you wear. Absolutely. God cares what you wear. Um, we're not going to, we're not talking hemlines and, and that kind of thing. But Paul even talks about when he's discussing the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we cover certain parts. Why? Because those aren't for everybody. Now there's a discretion and that discretion is going away in the world. We're ugly, we're rude, we're crude, we're vulgar, and we say, just suck it up. And that's not what is exhorted here in chapter 2. It's to be self-controlled. Control yourself so that you don't have to have somebody else control you. So that somebody doesn't have to put a bit of bridle in your mouth and steer you. But again, at the same time, Control yourself, or I will do it for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's. What about me, though? Who's going to control me if I go off the rails? Not Holy Spirit. <laughs> who, who fills the Holy Spirit? Or who does the Holy Spirit fill? You guys! So who's going to control me if I go off the rails? Hopefully, I. Say we will. Say we will. <laughs> Yeah, you should. You must. You must. Otherwise, that's that's when churches get really wonky. Yeah, yeah. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. All right, so self-control, huge. And one that really needs to... One that we all ought to consider in our own lives. The last one that I just looked at. Good works. And when you look at these things, these, these points of emphasis for Paul with Titus, you know, preeminent, sound doctrine, man. Because if you don't have sound doctrine trying to vault off on these other things, you got nothing. But having a life that is permeated with sound doctrine ought to bring a self-controlled believer and ought to impel the believer toward good works. I mean, these things tend to go, hopefully, kind of hand in hand. And so that's kind of a, just a brief overview of, of where we have been. That's bullet one there. Yep. And now we're going to actually go into some new ground here today. Any, any, uh, any comments or questions on any of this so far before we move into chapter two? Where we left off last year. This isn't, this isn't like a list of, like, it's not a to-do list. It's neat because it's a character. It's a list of characteristics and traits to be looked for in in eldership. These things we should be seeing with maturity, but it's not. Start doing these things, and then we'll, well make you an elder. Yes, it should be fruit. Correct. Yeah, a natural fruit. Again, fruit is naturally growing. Trees don't try to grow apples, they just grow them. 
If trees aren't growing apples, it's a bad apple tree. There's something amiss with the tree. It's its rooting, it's its food, those kinds of things. But these are the things that, that Timothy is supposed to teach the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women. You know, he is, Timothy, or Titus, Titus is supposed to be teaching these things, okay? Uh, picking up in chapter 2, uh, verses 7 and 8. Uh, Tracy, would you read uh, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2, please? Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Okay. Uh, most of you probably in your version have this as part of the same paragraph as his exhortation to Titus with regard to all those other people. And he throws in, okay, as, while you are spurring on the men and women in your church, hey, you also... Must what? What's the first thing he tells Titus he must do? Be a model of good works. Model good works. So there's that good works thing. He is to model good works. What's that mean? Paul told the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Okay. You know, uh, a commander who just you know, launches into the battlefield and says, follow me. And the troops are going, why? Where, 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 where are we going? You know, what are our orders? Is this a whim? Uh, but if they know the commander's, the, the general's orders to the commander, we go, ah, okay, we got to take that hill. And he says, follow me. We go, yes, I'm going to go with you. But if, if, you know, give, give me something. Give me something to go on. And so we are supposed to follow after, hopefully, the examples of those who are in leadership within our church. Hopefully. You know, so that's, that's, that's something that, you know, ooh, am I doing that? Am I, am I modeling what Christ exhorts his church to do am I modeling what Christ would have every believer to do so be a model of good works in what in all things as a husband as a father um, does that mean my kids are going to be perfect no talked about that too Kids aren't going to be perfect. Kids aren't going to be perfect. But we are to model. Now, isn't this superficial? No, it helps me root stuff. It helps me get rooted. Yeah. Like, obviously, we all like Keaton, you know, the way he talks to his brothers. Model it consistently if it's not really there. I mean, 
don't have a good relationship with Christ and you're not doing the things spiritually that you need to do, then you don't model those things. Like, not on a consistent basis. And so, if he's modeling good works, it's really not superficial because it's, right. it's, it's an indicator. Good. You can only wear a mask for so long. You can only fake it. It's not fake it till you make it. Okay? Uh, you, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's just going to be a natural byproduct of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to come out. So model good works. Okay? It, shouldn't, it almost shouldn't have to be said. It should be something you are doing, but let me encourage you to do it anyway. We see that in Scripture all the time. Do the thing you know that you are actually supposed to do. We are in Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Going through a study of Paul's letter, exhortation to a young pastor. So... He tells him to model good works. He also tells him to teach essentially what? He tells him to teach sound doctrine. This is what he tells him to do. And he, he kind of breaks it down as far as his teaching. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Okay, Integrity. In your teaching... Show integrity. Let's, let's kind of just stop for a moment. In your teaching. So Paul is telling Titus that he must Okay. What is a pastor's biggest responsibility? To teach. To preach and to teach the word. It is, it is off of that bedrock that other ministries of the pastor are going to flow in his, in his individual ministry to families or, or uh, particular individuals. But it has to begin with teaching. Teaching has to be the priority, his priority. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I really... I really, I don't like teaching. Maybe don't want to do that then. Because that's like huge. Um, does that mean every pastor is going to preach like, you know, pick, pick the pastor of your choice. You go, oh man, I love listening to that guy. That guy's great. I could listen to him all day long. Is every pastor going to be like that? Jeremy shaking his head. <laughs> no. No. Well, and the one who is that way to one person may not be to somebody else. Perfect. I think when I was on public speaking, and one of my favorite parts was the ethics of public speaking, mm-hmm. the like reverence for what you're doing and for the people who are listening and giving your time, and in this, this case, reverence to the material. So knowing that someone is only halfway prepared, not concerned about the, the people and whether or not they understand or, or benefit it. That's where the, that's what I hear from integrity. Good. People passively, or as you mentioned before, that other guy passively entering into this role and not taking it seriously and putting in the appropriate time or uh, taking it serious. That's yeah. Or even the material that they're bringing in, like people who just share all kind of non-scriptural things, yeah. it's like you, you have no uh, integrity. If they're telling them to, to stick to this or stick to scripture and they're pulling references from all yeah. over. <coughs> he has, when he preaches today, when he gets up to preach, he has one person to please. That's integrity. He has one person to please, and it's not his wife. It is the living God. If God is displeased with his preaching and everyone goes, ah, oh, that's great. He missed the mark. If God is well pleased and we all go, eh, 
we've missed the mark. So there has to be an integrity <coughs> to God's word as he teaches it. Excuse me. Um, dignity. Dignity. The pulpit. Man. The pulpit is the place where God's word is proclaimed to the saints. I can't imagine Elijah doing shtick. Doing what? Shtick. Yeah, you know, that doesn't mean don't tell a story. That doesn't mean a, a, uh, a, a bit of wit in there. But it's not a stand-up routine. It is not entertainment. There is a dignity. I am bringing the word of God. I don't want to be a distraction to it. Let God's word do its work in you. Not me. If it's me, then you're getting the wrong thing. A dignity, an integrity to the word. In, in a dignity. There's the word sound again. Sound speech. A clarity where you're not going, what? A wholeness. To this, that that cannot be condemned. You go, because why? That's what it says. You know, he's preaching the word of God. That's what it says. He's not going off the rails into what he thinks. That is what it says. So you go, yep, that's what it says. Well, well, you might go well, but that's still what it says. Within the context of the chapter within the context of the letter, within the context of the Bible. What does it say? And notice there's, there's an end to this. The opponents, that they might be put to shame. You know, yeah. Nothing evil to say. Nothing evil to say. Nothing that is really contrary to God's word. They may say things that are false, but with regard to truth, they're not gonna, they've got nothing evil to say. They can ask a little bit more. Go ahead. Okay. Good. We're, we're the ones that can be torn down by whatever somebody says. And it affects what people say. If you're not fully grounded. And even if you are, it's still in the back of your mind. If Satan takes down a pastor, what often becomes of the church? Yeah. Gets fragmented, cut in half, knocked down, wounded, deeply wounded for a time. So, his teaching, my teaching, affects all of us here. And because of this, because it does, really, this should impel us to constantly keep our pastors, our preachers, and our teachers in prayer that they not get wobbly wheels, that they not start off-roading when it comes to the word of the living God. We've got to understand that attacks against him are not going to stop. Attacks against Dr. Bob, against Reggie Co., uh, against the pastors up here at One Life, uh, Ronnie and uh, Logan, those aren't going to stop. And so we must be <coughs> in prayer 
ultimately for 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 pastors. Think about it in your in your work, <clears throat> in your individual workplaces as well. Compared to like, like, I know for myself and Frankie, if we slip up and say something inappropriate in a moment, and it carries much more weight than someone who does it all the time. Yeah. And I can imagine it's the same, you know, for you in your workplace as well. It's like, ooh, this, you know, this Christian. So it definitely trickles down all the way down to our individual workplaces, I think. Good. Next week, Paul's going to turn Titus's eyes to another group within his church, and that's the slaves, the bond servants. They go, whoa, hey, whoa. So there's all kinds of baggage that we're going to have to look at next week when it when we get to the aspect of bonds, bond servants. So we'll start out next week looking at the problem of bond servants. We'll look at what he says to bond servants, and then really how does that apply to me in twenty-one, you know, 21st century? Today? It doesn't have any implication to me at all today. So I would encourage you to read through the rest of chapter 2. In fact, read all of the letter and kind of try and put yourself back in first century Crete as Paul is exhorting Titus in his instruction to bond servants. Let's close in prayer here. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for inspiring Paul to write this young pastor and the impl- implication and impact that it has for us today. So, so God, even now, um, as we go from this place throughout this week, I would... I would ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, that you would exhort us in the sound doctrine of your word, that you would uh, convict us about our own self-control uh, in matters of uh, uh, in the matters of our lives, that you would be glorified, uh, that others around you might come to know you as God and Savior through your work of ministry in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.